Hi everyone, I'm Emily. And I'm Vince. And this is The Lighthouse, Lowdown in North Carolina. We're about to head out to our lighthouses in person. This episode's going to be covering four lighthouses in the Outer Banks of North Carolina, including Hatteras, Ocracoke, Body, and... Curatuck. Curatuck. Thank you. It's not all of the lighthouses that we have out there, but we're covering the, the four... Um, the, cl- the classics, the tall ones, besides Lookout, which the is unfortunate. Yeah. We're covering the ones that are going to be on t-shirts. <laughs> so We're covering the ones that we can get to in our vacation time. Yeah. 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 I have a short history buoy, and then we're going to sail on over to our first lighthouse, which is Body. Nice. Pumped up. <laughs> so this one's, this history buoy is more like a note. Uh, it's in an earlier episode. I, I asked, why are there so many different measurements listed for lighthouses? Mm-hmm. And I have an answer. The answer is that measurements for lighthouses are an approximate figure. What do you mean approximate? This like, like plus or minus? Or not what? often are they actually measured. Like that's actual. It, that's it. Yeah. Someone like, takes tools and measures it. Right. Sometimes they're done by lasers where they measure them through lasers. Yeah. But even then, the measurement is done between a set beginning and end point that varies. Because so like some are just the brick column, like not including the lantern yeah. room, which those people are just straight up wrong. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not that the doesn't count. Measure it. Some include a base or a lightning rod. Um, Extra points. And some are based on the focal plane above mean water, which is just the measurement to where a beam is emitted in the center of a lantern room from mm. the sea level. So it like includes above the level of water where the beam is coming These out. These are not similar at all. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> so many instances where I'm just reading and I'm like, this is not even like, especially Hatteras. Not if close. you look, some people are like 197 feet. And like in my notes, 210, because the reference I'm looking at is 210. That's probably mean distance above water to the lantern room is what that one probably is. But just saying, it's kind of wild. Yeah. Yeah. So technically, the height of a lighthouse is supposed to include everything permanent on the tower, including lightning rod, foundation, lantern room, ventilation, like anything extra that's permanent is should be included. But I mean, it's all over the place. That's wild. I did not know that. Yeah, so fun fact, if I give a height of a lighthouse, you may find something different online. That doesn't make me wrong. Or in a book. (laughs) Or talking to a person or measuring yourself. Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, that's the history buoy. Just wanted to throw it out there, the answer to my question, so that everyone else can know as well. Cool. So now in all future podcasts, when we talk about the height of any lighthouse, which I'm sure- Just keep in mind, it's take it with a grain uh, of salt. That means nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's go. I'm, I'm- all right, we're, yes, we're pumped. Let's go. And we're going to kick off. So we'll meet you over there in the Outer Banks, North Carolina. North. Okay. Let's go. Okay, another take. <laughs> Third try. Here we go. Vince and I are outside of Bodie Island Lighthouse right now. Let's go, let's go, let's we're go, let's on, go. <laughs> we're on site. We're literally on the back porch. Yes, we're on the back porch of the old Keeper's Cottage, which has been turned into a bookstore slash museum uh, informational center. Conveniently. Right. In the shade. <laughs> yes, on a bench. <laughs> facing the lighthouse. We're lucky because we just showed up while they're on lunch. So there's not a bunch of people coming in and out of uh, the Keeper's Cottage. So that's awesome been here like 20 minutes but about 100 people so yeah there's still there may still be some people talking in the background there's still people around yeah it's really nice they have a brick walkway up to the lighthouse i mean we got full view right now it's really it's pretty beautiful i did i definitely had some tears come out when i walked up <laughs> vince had to hold me it's tough <laughs> okay so we'll just jump right into it Bodie island lighthouse is 165 feet tall and has 214 steps that lead up to the lantern room it's painted with these really bold black and white bands there's two black and three white bands and has a black lantern room which is really cool uh it's really cool it's very ornate it still has its first order franal lens up at the top which is visible if you're visiting you i do not think that when you climb you can go see the franal lens i think climbing ends at the gallery so you can come out on the balcony and uh look down from the 
like almost the top of the lighthouse but yeah uh, so it has a first order frontal lens with a flashing pattern of white two and a half seconds on two and a half seconds off two and a half seconds on and then 22.5 seconds eclipse so it's a 30 Ooh. second uh, flash period of course right. of course <laughs> Well, something I want to point out, just looking at it, mm-hmm. it's kind of neat. Yeah. There's three windows that are along what I assume are the stairs. Oh, like, I didn't see that third one uh, at the top. They're all in the black, so they're all within a black stripe. So from afar, it doesn't disrupt it. Yeah. Like architecturally, I think it's cool. I guess, yeah, like visually, it would be disrupting to have the windows in the white patterns, but they kind of hide when they're in the black bands. Yeah. Makes it look really I kind of cool. like that, yeah. The lighthouse now has a range of 19 nautical miles, and this is the last of three attempts to light this part of the outer banks. There were two lighthouses before this that were also Bodie Island. Mm. And we'll talk about that. Let's go into it. Shipwrecks. (laughs) (laughs) Shipwrecks have been a problem. We needed to build a lighthouse, and as these shipwrecks started to increase with trade and like more traffic coming in, Congress set aside $5,000 in 1837 to build a lighthouse on P Island, which is actually just across Oregon Inlet. P P like the letter? P-E-A. P-E-A. Like the, the, yeah. They went and visited and actually changed the location to Bodies Island where materials could be dropped off easier. Of course. Yeah. So a little note is that it is believed that the land was named Bodies because it was the last name of a family that owned the land. Oh, okay. But folklore says that it's because of the number of bodies that washed ashore <sighs> on this island. Mm. <laughs> so I'm a little, um, I'm not absolutely for certain if it's still called Bodies Island Lighthouse or if it's Bodies. I believe it's ambiguous. B-O-D-I-E. Yeah. I would... I would the original I land. Say Bodhi. The original land was spelled B O D D Y, and it was pronounced Bodies. Okay. But I think over time, this has become Bodie's Lighthouse. But I don't know that for certain. From online, it's kind of uh, there's both. Uh, stupid question. Okay. So here we are sitting. <laughs> I should have figured it out. Um, I was <laughs> driving on the way here. So, Bodie Island Lighthouse. Are we on an island? <laughs> <laughs> the Outer Banks is an island. Okay. Technically. This is the section of the Outer Banks is yes. Bodie Island. Right. This section, this There's, 40 miles yeah, we talked about. Okay. We are going to cross over a bridge to get to Hatteras. Of course. And that side is Pea Island. So, moving on. The first lighthouse built here was a disaster, thanks to <laughs> the fifth auditor of the Treasury wanting to save money. That's always never try and save money on a lighthouse. Just never try and save money. It was successful in the case of Ocracoke, which I'll go into. But okay. Okay. in this lighthouse, saving money was the worst idea ever. And on top of that, the overseer of construction had no experience with lighthouses and just wouldn't listen to the engineer. It was like an ego thing. So is this the same site of all three lighthouses? No. For Bodie? Okay. No. Because the Oregon Inlet hadn't broken through the land yet. There was a hurricane that broke the inlet so that now they had to choose one side or the other of Oregon Inlet for the lighthouse. So, yeah. It was completed in 1847. It was only 54 feet tall and had a dated lighting system that frequently failed. So it was just like a piece of crap. It had an unsupported brick foundation that developed cracks and leaned the tower to the side. And they said it was like Uh. the Leaning Tower of Pisa without the cultural stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the leading pizza shit. <laughs> leading <laughs> tower of crap. <laughs> so only after 11 years, it had to be abandoned, and it was brought to the ground shortly after that. So just complete failure, waste of money, waste yeah. of time. Uh, and it was all just, we can just thank the fifth auditor of the treasury and this construction overseer. I didn't mind. I mean, I didn't even bother writing his name. <laughs> Roast him. <laughs> so the second lighthouse was lit on 1859. It was built by the Army Corps of Engineers Mm -hmm. and was 80 feet tall of whitewashed brick, so originally did not have these bands on it. Mm -hmm. It had a third order Fresnel lens with a 15 mile radius, and this one would have been good. It would have been a good lighthouse. They probably wouldn't have had many problems with it because they were actually, it was built by the Army Corps. The Army Corps. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, oh, it's not Corps? Mm, I'm sorry, I messed it up. It's Army Corps. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> you should have said something right away. You, you just let me go. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the silverware 
followed soon after, and they brought the lighthouse to the ground, um, though the date of its demise under the Confederates is unknown. So mm. they passed through this land. Act and before, Yeah, before they back out of the land, they either take out the franal lens of any light. This happened to all the lighthouses on the Outer Banks. Yeah. They either take out the franal lens or they bring the lighthouse to the ground because they don't want the Union soldiers to be able to use it for navigational purposes. Okay. So yeah. third time's the charm. <laughs> 1871, 15 acres were bought on the other side of this Oregon Inlet, which is where we are right now. Yes, the northern side of the Oregon Inlet. This new tower was 164 feet with a first-order lens, so already far superior, much taller with a brighter lens, has a much further radius, is 19 nautical miles. It was lit October 1st of 1872. Um, A head keeper and two assistants were... um, Put on staff. Yes. This, the head keeper's wife was the third assistant, but her job position was scratched after a year because they just didn't need that many hands on deck. Mm. That's four people, four keepers. for Just for this. Yeah. yeah. During the short year of construction, six vessels ran aground at a cost of $133,000, which was more than cost of building the lighthouse. So, like, already the cost six is offset. Six in one year? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I know it. Shortly after the construction, an engineering fail was discovered. Oh, no. <laughs> A l- the lightning rod was attached to the metal lantern room, which was attached to the metal spiral staircase uh-huh. that went all the way. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think happened when lightning hit the rod? Those stairs. Uh, <laughs> the stairs the electric are slide. <laughs> crackly stairs. Spicy <laughs> <laughs> stairs. So one of the keepers was on the stairs mm. when the lightning rod was struck, and he had... Uh, a useless lower half of his body uh, for a whole day. <laughs> well, just one day. He recovered. Yeah, wow. yeah. But he was... That's much better than I thought. Yeah. Lower half of his body, totally numb. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it was uh, bad, but could have been much worse. He could have died, definitely. Or been paralyzed Popcorn for life. chicken. <laughs> <laughs> the second assistant position was eliminated in the 1920s due to light-off alarms set up which is just, it's just an alarm up there that when it senses that the light has gone down, yeah. it send, sends out an alarm and it tells the keepers. So this last position that they wiped out was someone that kept track of the light. Just if it was yes. burning. Mm-hmm. So now we're down to a principal keeper and a just a first assistant position. Okay. At the same time they added these alarms, they also built a bridge to the island to remove the aspect of isolation. So, yeah, originally families were not, uh, this this keeper's cottage was supposed to house three families. So obviously it wasn't happening. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the families actually didn't come to the lighthouse unless it was like a special occasion. Like their kids grew up on another island. The wife was always on another island or at least, you know, further up like Nag said. Yeah. So they built a bridge and that kind of eliminated it being a stag station. Right. Right. It was automated in 1940 with the principal keeper at the time, Vernon Gaskill, serving Vernon. at Bodie for 21 years before oh. it was automated. So Legit. That's a long time. The tower switched hands from the Coast Guard to the National Park Service in 2000, but the Franolins was still under control of the Coast Guard. So, mm-hmm. in 2003, they announced that they were just going to remove the lens. I can't, I, they do this a lot. They, they threaten, they want to. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but someone's taking a photo laying on the ground as if the lighthouse is oh my gosh. coming from their, originating from their body upwards <laughs> into the sky. <laughs> Back to the science. I think, <laughs> she's, I think she's laying down because she's taking a picture that goes up to the sky. Look well, at her. There's another person who stood far behind with a very low angle and well, is now yeah. showing. Oh, okay. Yeah, they got a... <laughs> whatever. We shouldn't be judging people. We're, we're filming I'm a podcast judging. on the I'm back. I'm having a great time. <laughs> I'm on vacation. <laughs> All right, wait, let me, let me go. Sorry. So uh, Coast Guard announced that they were going to take out this, the Frano lens, which was not received well by the public, obviously. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Get a drink, yeah. The Coast Guard was flexible. They weren't like total douchebags. And they <laughs> allowed the ownership of the Frano lens to pass to the National Park Service with a ceremony on April 25th, 2005. Okay. So now the lighthouse, including the Frano lens, was to the National Park Service and not the Coast Guard. The okay. Coast Guard was rid of it. We're done with it. They're not managing yeah. it? Okay. In 2009, $3 million were included in the Omnibus Budget Bill. I'm not sure what it is. They just threw it into something else. And this was to fix up the lighthouse after some iron chunks fell down from the gallery and oh. almost hit people. That's good. 
it repaired metalwork, masonry and stone, floors, windows and framing, and upgraded electrical systems. So basically, it was like a whole redo of the lighthouse. Yeah. Three million dollars? Yeah. Isn't that insane? While they were updating, significant structural damage was discovered. And they, with this three million dollars, they still didn't have sufficient funding to fix that as right. well. So the project was just abandoned. They like took down all the scaffolding and just kind of like... In 2015? 2009. Nine, okay. A year later, oh no, that, sorry, that was 2011. Okay. So then a year later in 2012, a $1.9 million contract was awarded to United Builders Group in North Carolina, so a local Locals. construction, yeah, and was reopened and relit the following year. So they fixed it up, wow. uh, all the structural damage. It's really quick as well, all these projects here. So in 2013, the Outer Banks Lighthouse Society held a Keeper's Descendants homecoming at Bodie, and one attendant there even had even had five Bodie Lighthouse keepers in her lineage. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> so, yeah, they just had a little party Standing where uh, people that had keepers in their family yeah. would just came and had a good time. That's really cool. Kind of enjoyed that. The keepers duplex, which we're sitting in front of, is now a visitor center, bookstore, and a display for the lighthouse. I do see some books in there. They got some glass, some ornaments and stuff. Yeah. We'll, we'll be. We'll, we'll check be. it out. Yeah. Let's see what time it is. Oh, we got 15 minutes till it reopens. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but yeah, this is Bodie Island. Not, 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 there's not. <laughs> <laughs> not, not. Not a crazy amount of stuff going on uh, here. Well, this is pretty special for us. There's a lot of firsts happening. Yeah. For example, uh, first lighthouse that I've been this close yeah. to. Yeah. I've never been first to lighthouse a lighthouse. we've seen. We took photos together in front of the lighthouse. It's the first time we're recording on site. It's the first time we've got a live audience that doesn't care at all. <laughs> <laughs> probably has no idea what we're doing uh, for the first time. So this is neat. Yeah, they probably want to really stay fun. far away from us right now. We look like. <laughs> <laughs> we could be a lot louder. We have a lot of wires <laughs> happening. <laughs> we work here. Emily is wearing her lighthouse shirt. Does, it, have, does it feature Bodie? No, this is of oh. the Northwest. Oh, it doesn't even feature Bodie. No, Island. this is oh. more of. We'll have to get a Bodie Island Lighthouse shirt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Okay, uh, everyone hop back on the ship. We're going to head over to our next lighthouse, which is, where are we going next? Curatuck. We're going to Curatuck. So everyone hop aboard. We're heading north, uh, just about 40 miles. Let's go. Insert or, sorry, not 40 foghorn miles. sound. It's less than that. <laughs> 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 All right, see you guys there. Ahoy, everyone. Coming into port. <laughs> Ahoy, sailors. <laughs> we are off the edge of Curatuck Sound and uh, the Atlantic Ocean right now. Yep. Yep. We're On in site. Corolla, North Carolina, looking at our Curatuck Beach Lighthouse. Da, da, da. <laughs> we found another excellent location for recording, a bench directly in front of the lighthouse. Like 25 feet away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have to really crane your neck back to look at it. There's a lot of people climbing it today. Yesterday at Bodie Island, there, there was people, but we, we got there in the time yeah. period when it was closed down, and so there weren't people climbing it. But now we can see people standing around the gallery at the top taking some nice pictures. Wish it was me. I'm grounded here with my all-terrain scooter. <laughs> Next time. So, do you notice anything about this lighthouse now that we've been to Bodie? Well, uh... I've been a little bit cheated because I've been able to walk around and not hear anything from my yeah. girlfriend about this lighthouse. Yeah, I haven't said anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's red brick. There is no paint on the tower at all except for the gallery and up. If it like did have paint, what would it look like? Red. <laughs> it would look like brick. This lighthouse is the architectural twin of Bodie Island Lighthouse. Oh. Notice the windows yep, if they had the black windows. stripes. <laughs> <laughs> the only two lighthouses I've ever seen up close <laughs> are exactly the same architecture. That's just not yeah. fair. <laughs> I tried to help you out. I was like, what is it? Do you what it would look like? I'm like, now that we've lighthouse. been to Bodie, what is it? Oh, it's Body. My gosh, I'd do it again. Yeah. I'm going to call it Bodie. You can call it correctly Body. And, and then the signs were everywhere. Like, I, I had signs everywhere that it was Body. And I just ignored them and was like, I'm pretty sure it's Bodie. I'm going to have to, I, I'm going to, it's going to take me time to get out of that one. So wait, the architecture of the tower, the windows and the gallery look the same. The, now that you say that, the house that is in mm -hmm. front of it, whatever yep. this is, That's the, the entry to the tower base yeah. is the same as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
It's it's architectural. <laughs> was it built by twin. the same people? Well, no, but they use the same plans. Mm. This one was built after Bodhi, and actually, Bodhi. God. <laughs> <laughs> but Kuratuk was actually built to fill the space between Bodhi Island Lighthouse mm. and Cape Henry, Virginia. It was this last stretch of like 80 miles where there was uh, no light okay. and people were still having trouble uh, navigating because there wasn't a lighthouse in this area. So this one was built last and it filled this little dark space of the coast. That makes sense. Yeah, we drove, what, like an hour, hour north? We did, yes, yeah, hour, five minute drive from, so. it would have been an hour and a half from body. Yeah. While, while the other four tall lighthouses in the Outer Banks, which is Cape Lookout, Cape Hatteras, Body, and this one are the tallest ones, all of those have bold black and white patterns. Mm. We have the spiral, the bands, and diamonds. And in this case, this is the only one that shows its natural brick, which is why it's red. It's because they just didn't put any paint on it at all. It's just its natural brick. It's cool. It's 162 feet tall and has 220 steps into the lantern room. It's about the same as body. On this one, you can see the lantern room on the climb? No. I think people, are, it looks the like people are stopping at the gallery. Yeah. The flash characteristic is one white flash of three seconds and a 17 second eclipse. So we'd have the light on for three seconds and then darkness for 17. So we have a flash period of 20 seconds and that's three flashes per minute. <laughs> What's funny, why are you smiling about I was that? just, I was gonna say something about frequency of three or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah I beat you to it. Nailed it. So this is actually one of the few lighthouses in the US that still has its original first order lens at the top. Okay, mm-hmm. is it in use right now? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, cool. they still run it. It's less for navigational aid, but you know. Style points. Yeah. <laughs> Funds were allocated for this lighthouse as early as 1854, but mm. the Civil War halted any sort of building plans they had for this lighthouse. Okay. In 1871, the Lighthouse Board asked again for this lighthouse, and Congress appointed $50,000 in 1873 to get it started. Okay. And then another $70,000 in 1874, and then another $20,000 in 75 to complete it. What was the total build cost? Did they actually stay on the budget and get it Well, done? no. The 50000 was like the air, air quote budget. <laughs> the 70000 was like, uh-huh. okay, we need a lot more money, and then... The, the last, the finishing touches, $20,000. Mm. 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 You know. <laughs> it use, it has well over a million bricks in it, which is, I think, part of why they decided to show it off. Yeah. Just because it's really impressive. Very pretty. It's I, very I pretty. think it's all red brick. Yeah. yeah. It's built on sand and mud. As you can see, we were just noting that it's funny that the dirt here is actually just sand, yeah. like we're on a beach. <laughs> yeah. And so piles were used for stability and were drilled 24 feet deep into the earth for this one. Do you know by chance how thick the tower walls are? No, actually. Just really interesting. It looks, it's very interesting because the bricks are so small in comparison to like the size, the diameter of the tower. Yeah, right. It's huge. You know, we're pretty far from water right now. We're far from the wind and the waves and the erosion and everything. And they did that on purpose when they built this lighthouse. They took note from what happened at Cape Hatteras. They had to move that one, Yes, right? yeah. and the way that the erosion affects the shoreline so much, they decided to actually build this one a couple miles inland. Like, we're almost smack in the middle of the land right now. Yeah, we're, no we're water not, we're not yeah, yeah, we're not anywhere close to where water is. And it still serves its purpose because it's so tall. But this eliminates them having to worry about moving the lighthouse later if any kind of a, a shoreline erosion happens. Yeah, which yeah. would be, it would suck with the piers and yeah. the piles, I guess. Definitely. But we're, it's, we are in, like you can look it up, but we are literally in like a forest area. Like yeah. these are evergreen trees that are probably... 50 feet tall mm-hmm. yeah very I, I did not expect this at a lighthouse so it's kind of yeah, cool it's kind of hidden you have to find the right spot it's why i'm happy about us finding this bench is that you know there are there are several places to sit around here but you are behind a tree that yeah. covers, covers your view but yeah th- because it's so far inland i have a feeling they either left the walls as thick as whatever body is okay or they made them a little bit thinner because there's less of that. It doesn't need to be quite as resilient as mm. the ones that are so close to the shore. I don't think they would have done that, though. I think they would have just gone all the way. Just keep those plans. Yeah. yeah. On December 1st, 1875, the tower was lit by Nathaniel G. Burris, its first headkeeper. 
it had a first order f- oh my gosh every time i say this first order fresnel lens i always say first order first order i always have to cut fresnel. it out fresnel lens <sighs> first order fresnel lens seen up to 19 mod- nautical miles and that produced a constant white light that flashed red 5 seconds every 85 seconds okay so we used to have a a little bit of an al- alternating color flash pattern on this lighthouse hmm. we don't have that anymore cuz they're so expensive <laughs> The alternating colors are hard to do. The red, I feel like a red glass. Yeah, I feel like I talked about this. Yeah, you did because you mentioned stained glass. Right. This pink is made with gold. Red is yeah. Red's made with gold. This light had a lot of problems with waterfowl running into the lantern room that were blinded by the light. So like ducks and geese and stuff would hit the light, and so they installed netting around the windows to catch the birds. And sometimes they wouldn't catch entire flocks of birds oh like in gosh. one night. In January of 1878, the metropolis was sailing south past Curituck, carrying iron rails and 214 workmen to build a railroad in Brazil. So an expensive craft we have coming Heavy in. Ship. Yeah, a gale caused the cargo to shift in the boat, oh. and it opened seams in the hole and ran the ship aground on the shoals. Yeah. This is kind of crazy that you're carrying cargo and it shifts and opens your ship up. Yep. It's kind of crazy. Like, well, I'm sure they had stuff trying to keep that from happening. In some straps. Yeah. Some, <laughs> some leather tie-downs. Chains here and there. But, wh- well, running aground a ship can be intentional to kind of save it. I mean, it's like, it'll be stuck there, but you won't sink in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Out to sea. Unfortunately, so. that's not the case. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> it was an unintentional grounding. Burris noticed the wreck a couple hours later and was able to save over a hundred of the crew and house them in the lighthouse and feed them. But unfortunately, a hundred men were lost, prompting the establishment of the Pointers Hill Life Saving Station, which is six miles south of here. Okay. So it's basically it's people that keep watch of, yeah, if wow. there's any wrecks or anyone that needs help. Uh, originally, and in a lot of cases... Lighthouses were in charge of also, you know, yeah. keeping watch, see if anybody needs help. <laughs> yeah, all three guys are gonna go out. Yeah, and save a ship. <laughs> uh, the uh, are there are there still a lot of ship traffic in this area? I don't know. I'm not sure if there's still like Probably a lot of less. I, but I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. All right, moving on, moving on, moving on. That's kind of like the one big thing that happened here at Kuratuk. Yeah. But in the 1890s, a one-room schoolhouse was built to teach the keeper's children, which is right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, what, 12 by 20 feet? It's super cute. Uh, I didn't know if, when I was looking at it, I didn't know if this had been built after it became like a museum yeah. kind of thing. But right before we started recording, I was staring at it and I was like, oh my gosh, that's the schoolhouse. Definitely. They don't have a plaque on it that says what it is, or at least one that not one that I saw. Uh, I didn't see it either. Uh-uh. And the keeper's cottage is like can have residents in it. I just saw it's, they have a sign that says, you know, respect the privacy of the residents. People yeah, the can rent the keepers. Someone uh, who's here taking uh, tickets and, and money for climbing the tower was mm-hmm. saying, we heard them say that no one lives there right now. Yeah. But people can live there. I wonder it's if so it's like cool. Airbnb or if it's. I don't know. Residency makes it sound. Yeah. Like, a, like it's leased out. Awesome. So cool. I would be just, and it's really, it's a beautiful house. I mean, I always say keeper's cottage, keeper's dwelling, and they're old, but they're, they're restored. So they're really nice. Yeah. It's beautiful. It looks like a duplex too, I think, for the keeper and the assistant. Definitely split up. Yeah. Yeah. One of the last men responsible for Curituck Beach Lighthouse was William Tate. Do you recognize that? I know the name. Okay. Excellent. I don't remember what he did. (laughs) Uh, he was more well known for something that happened earlier in his life when he was in charge of the Kitty Hawk post office. Tate received an inquiry from a couple of bike manufacturers in Ohio asking about conditions in Kitty Hawk. And he mentioned that the Sandy Hills and the regular winds would be a great place for their experiment and even offered them to stay in his house. He said, quote, if you decide to try your machine here and come, I will take pleasure in doing all I can for your convenience and success and pleasure, and I assure you, you will find a hospitable people when you come among us, end quote. Is this by chance what Kitty Hawk is known for? It is. So in September 1900, the Wright brothers arrived and assembled their glider in Tate's front yard. (laughs) (laughs) And they used Addie Tate's, which is his wife, 
uh, sewing machine to piece together the wing fabric. So we're talking like... That's so cool. <laughs> hey, do you have a, a sewing machine? Like, yeah, what do, do you need? Do you need a, some, something mended? Just a button some come canvas, off? you know. Just, it's a tarp, basically. <laughs> we're going to build a flying machine in your front yard. <laughs> so since Tate worked at this post office, he heard all about the public's opinion on this experiment, but people basically said that they were just that the Wright brothers were just harmless dreamers, but that God didn't intend man to fly, quote, otherwise we would have been born with wings on our shoulders. Of course. End quote. Yeah, so he had a lot of skepticism, and actually Tate was called crazier than the Wright brothers for supporting them so much. Because Tate generally stood up for the Wright brothers saying, quote, other things as wonderful had been accomplished. End quote. <laughs> That's a good quote. Well spoken, my guy. Tate and members of the nearby life-saving station crew that I talked about quickly became friends with the Wright brothers and made manned flight a reality. Of course. Yeah. So William Tate was one of the last people working here at the lighthouse, and he was instrumental in getting the Wright brothers off the ground. Was he a head keeper? You said the last head keeper? I think so. I don't really know if this, if him working here was after the Coast Guard took over and he was just a civilian keeper. Which is a little bit different, but right. basically the same the same thing. Less buttons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Less qualifications. It's no don't have to wear the uniform. <laughs> it's funny that that's I mean, I'm interrupting a bit, but Tate had an impact here and with the Wright brothers and you said, you know, there's the one ship that ran aground and like, um, you know, there's not a lot of lot of, not a lot of history with the Outer <laughs> Banks lighthouses. You yeah. know, it's just I guess just I'm murder done, yeah. soup out there in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Paranormal soup, murder soup. It's the soup. graveyard of the Atlantic, but it's not a big deal. You know, <sighs> yeah, not, you're not right. A lot I, of I'm really downplaying it. <laughs> like, oh. The lighthouse was automated in 1939 when the Coast Guard took over, um, but by the 1970s, it was in major disrepair, vandals having stripped the keeper's house of everything, including doors and windows, which Great. allowed it to be open to the elements. Many said that the tower looked like something out of a fairy tale with vines scaling its red brick surface. That's kind of cool. I know. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> That's probably why there's so many, like, pronounced Patches. bricks. because it's, it's digging in from the, the vines. In 1980, the Outer Banks Conservationists, OBC, were formed just from concerned citizens. Like, it was, it was a non-profit organization just made up of civilians who lived around and loved the lighthouse so much that they really wanted to fix it up. Hmm. They leased the station, besides the tower, from the state of North Carolina to fix it up. And 10 years and a million dollars later... Oh. The station was returned to its former beauty and opened to the public. So we have the OBC to thank for all of this. So as, it, as it stands now, as we're sitting here, this has been since 1990, 1990 just about? Na- the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act of 2000 made several lighthouses, including Currituck, available to agencies, organizations, or corporations mm-hmm. to own. And so in 2003, the OBC applied and won ownership of the lighthouse. So the oh. OBC is currently... It owns everything. That's awesome. They built it. I mean, they fixed it up and now they own it. Yeah. And they do preventative maintenance on it like every day. It's just like a constant. It looks in great shape. Yeah. They say that the restoration done by OBC is kind of like, you know, what you, what you, yeah, it's like what you strive for. If you're restoring a lighthouse, you look towards the Currituck Lighthouse as, you know, your example of what's best and what's, I'll post a picture on my Instagram of the transformation of even just the keeper's dwelling yeah. from what it used to look like to what it looks like now. It's amazing. They just did a, a great job. Yeah, the grounds and the paint, uh, really everything. I can. It, it looks great. It looks great without having been renovated. Yes. You know, it still looks like it, it would have. new here. Yeah. Yeah. But that's Currituck Beach Lighthouse. Cool. That's what I got. The Very lighthouse great. in the woods. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> You can see it over the trees as you're coming up. Every time we're pulling up to a lighthouse, I'm like, oh, my God, there it is. Yeah, it can, it can cause <laughs> gasps if you're driving. Be aware of that. Yeah, watch out. <laughs> I'm not alerting to a car coming too close. I'm excited about the lighthouse. Not this time. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to go into the lighthouse shop, uh, get some stickers, get some swag, and then hop back in the ship because we are going over to our next lighthouse all the way over to Ocracoke. Way down south. Yes, we're going fur fur down south. <laughs> Excited. All right, all aboard. Hello, hello. Okay, we're working. Ahoy, sailors. 
Oh, yeah. We are currently outside of Ocracoke Lighthouse, which right. is on Ocracoke Island, um, near Ocracoke Village. Or I guess maybe we're probably in Ocracoke Village, uh, North Carolina. I just touched it. <laughs> he also took some pictures where his chest was flush up against the lighthouse. Uh, I don't know about that. That's a little <laughs> bit too close. <laughs> well, we had to take a ferry to get here. It was about an hour. And then it's yeah. a 20 minute drive. If you take your car, they have a passenger ferry now to where you can get right into the village and um, don't have a method of transportation besides the tram that goes around the island. Yeah. I'm glad we took the car ferry. It's yeah. Especially when I've got crutches and a scooter and everything else. This is the warmest lighthouse of the ones we've oh, seen. Oh, yeah. So. It just had rain this morning and it's a little stagnant. <laughs> it's a little humid, a little, uh, you know. It's very cute, quaint though. This lighthouse ha- is surrounded by white picket fences, yeah. and the keeper's cottage is still standing and used as a residency right now, private residence. We are looking at a solid white lighthouse with a black crown on the lantern room. Um, actually, no, I'd say the whole lantern room. It's yeah. a black lantern room. Yeah, it's conical but slightly bowed outwards on the sides, like the the lines on the profile of the lighthouse are a little bit outwards instead yeah. of being smooth and straight. It's 75 feet tall uh, and has 80 steps leading up to the lantern room. And right now it's owned by the Coast Guard. And so it's off limits to the public for climbing. But we huh. can take this little pathway that goes all the way to the lighthouse. You just can't climb it. This area of leisure boats and fishing craft used to be a hub of treachery, heroism, and <laughs> adventure. <laughs> what? Yeah. On Ocracoke. Mm-hmm. I know. It's very quiet and it's getting my voice right. Okay, yeah. I'm not hearing it very well. I'm hearing you really well. Oh, it's all in this ear. That's why. Please excuse me. <laughs> You're good. It sounds good. Okay, here we go. Ocracoke, the place, not the lighthouse, was put on the map after an English sailing ship was wrecked on the shoals on the inlet mm-hmm. in 1585. This ship was called Tiger and possibly offloaded Spanish horses into the island that are the ancestors for the wild local horses that are here today. Oh, cool. Yeah, and a lot of the tourism here focuses on the wild horses, so you can take tours. Yeah. And, yeah, lots of golf carts around here also. Yeah, well, we saw, yeah, we saw right after we got off the ferry, there was one turnoff for some wild horse viewing yeah. that a lot of people were going on, so. Mm-hmm. Ocracoke Inlet, before the lighthouse, was, like, unforgiving, and... It has outlet water that had moving sand into a bar of like shallow water mm-hmm. that you couldn't follow. So if a ship drew more than eight feet of water, meaning that if the ship was more than eight feet... Um, like the whole depth? Yeah. Then they would risk running aground just coming to the inlet. Yeah. So it wasn't frequented by people at all. So eventually, because this area was so dangerous, uh, captains were paid to assist trade vessels in navigating this area, and they were called pilots. So they would go out in their own vessel and direct... Mm-hmm. Like lead the uh, the vessels They'd through bring it the, into the port. Yeah, this formed Pilot Town, which is where they stayed. Uh, lots of fishermen chose to settle here as well, where trade and selling of whatever washed up from shipwrecks was the main like economy of Pilot Town. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so many houses in Ocracoke that are still standing to this day are made of wood that washed ashore from shipwrecks. That's really cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, there's not a lot uh, on the island, so it actually makes sense yeah. as far as building materials go. And at that time, everyday items from like bananas to shoes would wash ashore. Yeah. And uh, this kept the people of Ocracoke in relative comfort. Yeah. Yeah. So they weren't like scrounging or anything. They had a ton of exotic things just washing up on the beach. Yeah, treasure Beach. Whoever gets to it first. Treasure. <laughs> treasure Beach. Yeah. There are a lot of backstories to this location, including being visited by Sir Walter Raleigh while exploring the New World. Like Raleigh, North Carolina? Oh, is it Raleigh? Uh, Raleigh. R-A-L-E-I-G-H? Raleigh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was a better pronunciation. Yeah. And it also became a waterway access to various inland ports, and most notably being the favorite anchorage to Edward Teach, better known as Blackbeard. Ah, mm-hmm. of course. I'll do a whole episode on pirates, like like a fun segue kind of thing, because I, I like pirates almost as much as I like lighthouses, so I could talk about pirates. So every once in a while, maybe I'll do a pirate episode, but I won't go into the whole um, backstory. So skipping skipping all the backstory that, that's on Blackbeard. By 1718, Ocracoke was his go-to anchorage, and he actually wanted to use it as a pirate haven. And so naturally, the locals learning of this, that it's going to be a... 
uh, an outlaw's place. Yes. Great. They were not happy about it. And they bypassed their, quote, useless Governor Eden <laughs> and went straight to Governor Spotswood of Virginia asking for help. A side note on this, the reference I found about Eden says that he was useless that ha- with no other information on what that meant or why that was a thing. It's embarrassing. But I found letters between Eden and the secretary of the province that hinted that he and Teach were actually friendly towards each other. Oh, no. Yeah. And so maybe this is why he was not approached by the locals to take care of Blackbeard because he would have been, you know, he would have put up a fight. He had some of Blackbeard's booty, huh? (laughs) He gets a percentage of the cut. (laughs) So Lieutenant Robert Maynard of the Royal Navy brought two small sloops to Ocracoke to take down Blackbeard. Because, you know, the Virginia governor... What year? 17... Uh, that was about... It was 1718. This is... Okay. Yeah. So this isn't the Marines, is it? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't know. It's its own story. I want to look about someday. One of Maynard's sloops ran aground immediately. Like, hear it. The story of Ocracoke is... (laughs) (laughs) He shows up and he's like, we're going to take down Blackbeard. Half of of the ships ships got grounded. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. And the other was under heavy fire because Blackbeard knew that they were coming. It was kind of like... He had ears all around, so... Maynard brought his troops below deck on his sloop, and this was to make the ship look as though it was deserted. Uh, yeah, so then there Yeah. So Blackbeard and his crew boarded the ship, and they attacked from underneath, you know, like a surprise attack. Yeah. Maynard and Blackbeard challenged each other to a duel, where Blackbeard immediately took a bullet to the neck. Mm. <laughs> That's a hard one. He managed to continue fighting, not falling until he sustained 30 major wounds. Like, not just 30 wounds, 30, like, fatal wounds. That's the death of Blackbeard? Yep. Maynard cut off his head and tied it to the boat. <laughs> and tied it to the front of his ship. Was, I, can't, I don't know how to pronounce it. Bowsprit? Bowsprit? I think it's Bowsprit. That's hardcore. Yeah. And they said that they threw his body overboard and it, quote, swam around the ship three times before it sunk. I'm like morbid. That's wild. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> that's awesome though. But yeah, that's the story of Blackbeard and o- that's the connection between Blackbeard and Ocracoke. Yeah. So Blackbeard has a Blackbeard. <laughs> There's a Blackbeard museum. He, he owns it. <laughs> he has a museum here. He sells trinkets and mugs. His own little braided stuff. Anyway, uh, he has a museum here and also like a, a local pub named after him. That yeah. kind of stuff. Really cool. Yeah. In 1798, we're talking 80 years later, a wooden pyramid-shaped tower is built on Shell Castle Island. And Shell Castle Island is a group of oyster beds called Old Rock at the time that were purchased and began being built upon in 1789, which is like 10 years before the little lighthouse was built. Mm. Within a year, Shell Castle was operational and soon became the center of maritime trade in North Carolina. So booming, really booming. Lots of flow. Yeah. The lighthouse has very had very poor lighting, the little pyramid one, and shifting sandbars moved it a mile from the inlet by 1818. Ooh. So just like... Jeez. Useless. In 1818 as well, it was struck by lightning and destroyed in the resulting fire. Mm. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. The wooden tower. <laughs> Who would have thought that would be a bad idea? In 1822, Congress set aside $20,000 to build a new lighthouse, and this time it was on Ocracoke Island, which is what we've got going on here. It was commissioned by Noah Porter of Massachusetts to build a tower and keeper's cottage. The lighthouse was coated in a mixture of lime, salt, ground rice, whiting, which is calcium carbonate, mm. and clear glue, which is mixed with boiling water and applied to the bricks while it's still hot. So if you look closely, or even from far away at yeah. Ocracoke, it's like lumpy. It's kind of like someone like put castle. up plaster, you know. <laughs> yeah, sandcastle. Someone painted white. Yeah, it's uh, you can definitely tell it's not it's not paint and it's not brick, so it's got this coating on there that's basically just to keep it absolutely weatherproof, 100. Say why? Why yeah. did they use that? Weatherproof. It's just what they had here, mm-hmm. and it's super just, tough. Yeah, I mean it's not the prettiest, and it's uh, ochre coke is not. Oh my gosh, there's a wasp. Get far away from me. Get far away. It's flying away. Yeah, it's also not the tallest, so I'm thinking maybe they didn't do this on the taller lighthouses because it was, you know out of control yeah (laughs) it would have been way too much yeah Yeah. porter finished it in the next year at a cost of eleven point two thousand dollars which is a little over half of the budget so this is what i was saying in the last crushed it at curatuck that they actually saved 
a ton of money here and it's still standing today so yeah. they did a good job looks great mm-hmm. the, the saving of all this money is a testament to the relatively uneventful life of mm-hmm. Ocracoke Lighthouse like Ocracoke Inlet and the island has a lot going on you know in history yeah. but the lighthouse itself hasn't had much trouble yeah yeah. In 1846, a hurricane o- opened the Oregon and uh, Hatteras inlets to the north and made Hatteras Inlet deep enough to become the preferred route for trade. So at this time, almost overnight, trade in Ocracoke went from like a torrent to a trickle. Oh, man, because yeah. it's just a better route through Hatteras. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, faster and uh, further up on the coast. You don't have to swing all the way down here to get out to sea or vice versa. Yeah, thank goodness for that hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> so glad we got, I know they're like oh a silver lining opened up the trade routes <laughs> the rainbow after the storm yeah. yeah in 1849 the lighthouse was updated with a new smaller round lantern room instead of octagonal okay and this was because uh well i'll say it had 10 brass lamps with 21 inch reflectors instead of the 15 lamps that it had previously so they yeah. downsized by five lamps it had a light characteristic of a slow revolving white light that finished a rotation every two minutes and lighthouse officials didn't record this but the early light also had a red flash at the end of each two minutes so Ooh, i'm not sure why it wasn't recorded their own style. yeah maybe it wasn't uh updated or yeah. you know maybe it wasn't very long that they had the red flash so yeah. they didn't really make note of it so the characteristic of the light was changed to a fixed white light in 1854 with the installation of a fourth order franal lens which is still at the top you can see it if yeah. you're coming to see the lighthouse it was electrified in the early 1900s and is still a fixed white light visible for 14 miles. Yeah. Oh my gosh, can we go in? There's a guide with these folks that just opened the door. Oh my he, gosh. He gave them the shush sign before they walked by us. He's, he's like, oh, they're recording. Oh. That's really nice. But yeah, he's I wearing, he's wearing like a trooper, <laughs> trooper vest or something. Okay, sorry. Let me just continue. The lighthouse is a point of high ground and is a refuge for local residents during hurricanes. So people actually come here really? when they have high water and wow. stay in the lighthouse. Ocracoke was switched off from November 2009 to March 2010 while they installed new glass, metalwork, and lightning protection to the lantern room mm. up top. Ocracoke is one of the oldest operating lighthouses in the country. So the ones that, the one that's still operating or being in use, it's one of the oldest. Grounds around the lighthouse and the keeper's cottage are open to the public, which is where we are right now. Interestingly, the islanders have maintained their distinctive accent called Ocracoke Brogue, I think. Brogue. Brogue. That is one of the most well-preserved of early American speech. Huh. Meaning we can hear from them how Blackbeard and Sir Walter Raleigh yeah. would have sounded in Ocracoke almost 250 years ago. That's really cool. Yeah. It's weird because it's so accessible. I mean, we took one hour ferry. Yeah. Uh, it's not super easy to well, get to. Well, from, from Hatteras. Yeah. So, Hatteras? Hatteras. Hatteras. Well, it's one of those. <laughs> we oh. had a local at a bar uh, pronounce it for us. Uh, we were at a, the Outer Banks yeah. Distillery, and he we were talking with him, and he's saying Hatteras. We're like, oh, thank God. Now <laughs> Someone we know. told us, yeah. We'll forget tomorrow, but it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we really need it, yeah. I'll just film a whole episode pronouncing things wrong. I'm really bad at pronouncing stuff. I just stink at it. I you rock it. You got the pilot boat right. And I, I'll just say as a point of interest, I was a year ago, I guess. I was mm-hmm. in Seward, Alaska. Um, or was it Valdez? I was in Valdez. Yeah. Uh, and the, I saw they had a pilot's ship there. I was like, oh, what's, you know, I didn't know. Like, uh, they still use pilots. So they'll sail somebody out to bring a barge in or a large ship in yeah. to port. I thought that was really cool. Neat. Someone who knows it really well. Right. So. But yeah, that's the history of Ocracoke. Yeah. Here we are. It's pretty cute. It's the shortest of uh, the ones that are here on Outer Banks, the, the popular ones. Beautiful. Yeah. Wonderful. I think, what what did I say? It's 75 feet tall, so it's almost 100 feet shorter than Currituck and Body. Still big. Yes. <laughs> still, I mean, yeah, it's still, you know, six and a half stories tall, but. Awesome. Yeah. So hop back on aboard, everyone. We're going to be moving over to... Hatteras for our next lighthouse, the next and last in our series of popular uh, Outer Banks lighthouses. So see you there. All aboard. Okay, I think we're good. Welcome to the spirally boy, <laughs> spiral boy of the, the barber Outer Banks. shop of lighthouses. <laughs> yeah. Is this the only one that's like that? At least over here. Where are we, Emily? 
we are on Hatteras Island. Actually, we're um, a little bit further over from, we're about actually 20 minutes from the Hatteras Inlet. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're sitting in front of Hatteras Lighthouse, Cape Hatteras Lighthouse. It's the tallest brick lighthouse in the U.S. at 210 feet tall. Pretty exciting. Of the Outer Banks lighthouses I've seen, by far the best viewing experience. Really? Because we can't really see it from Well, we can't really see it from where we're sitting, but we're sitting <laughs> in the shade. We can see the last, gazebo. you know, or we can see the first, we can see the base and, uh, the, you know. Yeah. But there's a path we can walk down, I'm pretty oh. sure, that takes us up. We'll be doing that. Yep. yep we're, yep. Uh, we're cutting time short before our flight, so got to get this done. Got to get this out of the way so everyone can be knowledgeable <laughs> on Hatteras Lighthouse. So this lighthouse has beautiful white and black spiral pattern on it. Has a beautiful black and white spiral pattern on it. And a black lantern room and a red base. So it's very unique, very noticeable. It's a lot of paint. uh, People around here usually use the likeness of Hatteras anytime they have lighthouse decorations and stuff. Of course. It's made with almost 1.3 million bricks and weighs nearly 5,000 tons. That's so much material. Currently, it's it's being renovated for safety, and they're going to give it a new coat of paint and uh, all of that. So it's closed for climbing. Um, Can't get too close to it until they're finished. So are they doing, you know, the staircase? They're just like shoring up that for safety. That's the safety issue probably. Yeah. they're Doing all of the checking through quality. It's been uh, about a year of renovations so far, and they're they're not done. So they're probably doing a lot of work on it. It'd be a tough construction site. Oh, yeah. Working inside of a lighthouse would and, be. And it's humid. Yeah, there's no AC in a lighthouse, mm. just so everyone knows. So why did we need the Hatteras Lighthouse? Miles off the coast of the Outer Banks, there are two opposing currents that flow against each other. Mm-hmm. Closer to shore is the Coldwater Virginia Coastal Drift, which goes southward. And there's a warm water Gulf Stream that flows north. Mm. Where Cape Hatteras is now, the Gulf Stream veers into the coastal drift and th- this would force any vessel using the currents for a faster route because sometimes using the current would cut off your uh, travel time by like yeah. weeks, especially when you just had sails. There were no like, yeah. you know, you couldn't oppose currents. You'd have. You oh, know. that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's unfortunate. So you'd swirl um, into that mix. Yeah. So any ships that were using this would meet this like mixture of the two currents and it would force them into this like hazardous area mm-hmm. of shallow water I- in this area there's like the water churns which shifts all the sand around so it's unpredictable about where even if there was a place for you to go you wouldn't know where it was like from the one day moves, to the next like the sandbars move yeah even 15 miles out from the shore you would have some dangerous waters mm-hmm. so that's pretty far out i mean yeah, you I'd rather you sink on shore. You wouldn't be able to see the shore. You wouldn't even know that you were coming up on it. Yeah. You would be in a danger zone. That's crazy. That This area of danger is called Diamond Shoals, which is also known as the Graveyard of the Atlantic. Oh. Because a lot of people die. <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> Aside from this, the coastline was very flat with no visible landmarks, so ships had to sail into these this dangerous area mm-hmm. just to like check to make sure that they were on the right track. I'm sorry. They'd have to come into the shore that they can't. That's a dangerous area just to see closer. 15 miles out, you can't see. Yeah. So the first shipwreck recorded here was in 1526. So that's a long time. Yeah. First lighthouse, first uh, Hatteras lighthouse that was constructed was in 1803, which was 10 years after Congress authorized it. So it took a long time to actually happen. Brick by brick. (laughs) It's not so bad. Well, it wasn't this tall. I'll tell you about it. Okay. This first, you know, building of this lighthouse was special because it was the first lighthouse that warned you away from the shore rather than bringing you in. Like normally lighthouses were on the edge of ports where it says this is where you enter, Mm. follow this lighthouse. And this one was a warning to stay away. The original Cape Hatteras lighthouse was a federal style sandstone octagonal tower that was 90 feet tall and had 18 whale oil lamps in 14 inch reflectors. But it still was not powerful enough to reach past the shoals. Really? Yeah. The, so light, the light didn't get there? Yeah. So even like, even 15 miles out where things started to get sketchy, they still didn't see this light. So they would still have to go into the danger zone to if even you see, see the, the light, lighthouse. It's very bad Yes. News. It's like, oh, we're in the wrong spot. <laughs> <laughs> also, it was built on a sandy hill. So it was just like 
rapidly deteriorating. Like yeah. there, there was no way, there was no solid foundation that it was, was right on, on the water, probably. Yeah. Yeah. The first keeper was Adam Gaskins, appointed by President Thomas Jefferson before the lighthouse was completed. And only one keeper was assigned at a time, and an inspector in 1850 said that a new larger dwelling needed to be built, at the very least to house those who wreck around the Cape, let alone because the one they did have was like leaky and old. Mm. So he's like, this is not even enough room for our keeper. We have people wrecking that need to stay somewhere, and the lighthouse is usually where they do that. In the studio. (laughs) The studio apartment. (laughs) Everyone sleep standing up. (laughs) At this time, the inspector also said, Quote, there is perhaps no light on the entire coast of the United States of greater value to commerce and navigation of the country than this. And there is no single light on the coast believed to require more renovation than this one does. Dang. Statements. Just burn. And even a Navy Lieutenant David D. Porter wrote a report to the Senate for the first meeting of Congress in 1851 that says, quote, the first nine trips I made, I never saw Hatteras light at all, though frequently passing in sight of the breakers. And when I did see it, I could not tell it from a steamer's light, except that the steamer's light is much brighter. (laughs) It is still a wretched light. Oh, my gosh. Insults. No, this this was like. Everyone hated this light. And anyone who was supposed to rely on it was like, this thing is useless. And they said, if it's not going to be good enough, then get rid of it. Because they were like, we we can't be looking for a lighthouse that puts us in a dangerous spot. It's like, just get rid of it entirely. It's worse than useless. Yeah. The lighthouse board was formed in 1852, a year after this uh, Congress meeting. And immediately had the tower raised to more than 150 feet and installed a first order Fresnel lens. So, so boom, they, boom. They added. built a foundation that lifted it, basically? Built on top of it. Oh, okay. And yeah, then big the first yeah, order on top. First order lens, gotcha. yeah. The bottom 20, 20 feet of the tower was painted gray with the upper portion red and the rest of it was white. So we had a, a little bit of gray, a white base and then red at okay. the second half so it stood out really well against the sky the red kind yeah of, yeah it was supposed to be a really obvious day mark on top of yeah. you know, the light being yeah. a lot better it now had an incredible white flashing light every 20 seconds that mariners described as quote the greatest light in the world <laughs> so the first big, order burning the skies yes. <laughs> a big change in you know attitude around this lighthouse Oh, soon after, however, the Civil War hit. Confederates wanted to destroy the lighthouse to take away the benefit for Union ships. Obviously, we talk about this with every... Every lighthouse over here, yep. They seized the lens as they retreated, but the Union soldiers replaced it with a second-order lens, upgraded to first again just a year later. So they were like, Ooh. <laughs> you we got lenses on hand. Suckers. Yeah. The tower was severely damaged in the war, and the lighthouse board decided it would be cheaper to build a new one 600 feet away. So um, I'm assuming it got shelled, you yeah. know, and so they, 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 instead of spending all the money to basically redo the lighthouse where it stood, they built a new one. Yeah. After being built, the original was destroyed with a display of dynamite. It was like apparently a big watching ceremony kind <laughs> of thing. They were like, let's explode it. <laughs> and the lens was used in the Pigeon Point lighthouse. Of course. <laughs> the new lighthouse was over $150,000 to build in 1870. 210 feet tall with over 1 million bricks used, making it the tallest brick lighthouse in the U.S., like I talked about. On December 16th, 1870, the tower's first order lens was lit for the first time. Or was it? Because in 2002, it was discovered that the first order lens was the same lens used in the original lighthouse that was taken by the Confederates. So what happened was it remained hidden during the war, and then when it was located afterwards, it was sent to Paris for cleaning and returned to the Staten Island Lighthouse Depot and selected as the new lens for the improved Cape Hatteras Tower. But they didn't know that they were picking the same lens. Hold on. So just, okay. So they got the new tower's frame lens at the time from a reconditioner in Paris. Yeah. In Staten Island, they keep lenses that are ready to be used okay. at least at this time and so they selected, to be the they same just one. selected one for this lighthouse that we need a first order lens and they're like here you go and <sighs> it just happened to be the one for so i hope someone did that on purpose someone in like in the yeah, back they're like, like oh, yeah i know where this one came serial from serial number seems familiar <laughs> <laughs> yeah so crazy coincidence wow in 1873, the Lighthouse Board painted it again with its unmistakable black and white spiral pattern and red octagonal based. So it originally, it still had that red and white pattern. Yeah. 
and they changed it to these the stripey stripe. So the red is on the base basically as a, an homage because right now it's covered in trees like from yeah we can see the red base yeah and it's probably well, I don't know yeah because this used to be tall, gray but, and they yeah. painted it red I'm I'm thinking maybe it is a little you know just a, a nod to what it used to be. In 1914, the rotation speed of the lens was increased so as to have a light characteristic of a white flash every six seconds, which we saw last night. Yeah. Vince and I were on the beach. How many miles away? Like Three. Oh, really? Three or five, yeah. I thought it was a lot more than that. Not far. It's a 20-minute drive. Yeah, curvy roads and such. Oh, okay. Well, we could see it from where we were standing. It was really awesome. First time seeing a lighthouse lens going at night. I actually thought we were looking at... Um, the Ocracoke Lighthouse. Oh, really? Because I thought we were looking... Let's see, the sun was setting... No, we were looking north. Where was the sun setting? To our right? Back uh, behind us on the, on the sound. So we were facing east. So north would be on our left, which is where the lighthouse was. So yeah, it's Hatteras. Mm-hmm. Keeper Unaka... Oh, gosh. Jeanette. I, I, I hope I'm saying that right. Unaka, Unaka Janet, uh, began serving in 1919, starting his duties that would last for 20 years. His family has a long history with this lighthouse. The original land for the lighthouse built in 1803, so the very first one, Mm -hmm. the one that was crap, (laughs) was purchased from Christian Janet, widow of Joseph, on behalf of her four children, which was $50 for the four acres. What a deal. Yeah. The family began a long line of keepers that ended with Unaka. They were in it for the long run. Used to be their land, so. Unaka was the last of their family to be a keeper. That's Mm -hmm. really cool, though. 20 years as well. I know. Stuck around. Nothing shy. Well, especially, so, I don't know if now's a good time to mention it, but we talked to a park ranger volunteer yesterday. Oh, yeah. And he talked about, uh, behind us where we're sitting today is a bunch of limestone Oh, yeah. I'll talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the the turnover (laughs) rate was high, it sounds like. Pete was talking about uh, the Hatteras Lighthouse while we were at Ocracoke, and I was like, Vince hasn't heard any of this yet. (laughs) Stop talking. Spoilers. (laughs) He was very nice. He loved, I mean, his love for lighthouses was was amped up. Yeah. He was very happy to see. I mean, we were recording, and his little tour group walked by, and he's like shushing all of them. And and when I came up later, uh, he like are you guys filming a documentary like i gotta show you some super cool pictures of cape lookout are you guys going which unfortunately we're not but he took some pretty cool photos after the hurricane uh, a few years ago yeah he also let us look inside ocracoke open the door and let us look in yeah it that was, was really neat yeah, we got some photos cool. got some yeah. cool pictures by 1935 a couple hurricanes and storms had eroded the shoreline so much that the waves touched the base of the tower once 1500 feet from the ocean the lighthouse was abandoned by the keeper uh, because it was extremely easy for his house to be flooded. <laughs> but by some work of Mother Nature and the Civilian Conservation Corps, the shoreline began to be built up again. So the mm-hmm. lighthouse got further, or well, the ocean got some further away from the lighthouse. Yeah. Okay. By 1950, the Coast Guard replaced the frontal lens with a modern electric lens. By 1987, the lighthouse was only 120 feet from the waves again, and it was decided that it would need to be moved. So... June 17th, 1999, it was lifted six feet off its base and moved in five foot increments along a road made just for this purpose and arrived on July 9th, 1999 and relit November 13th. That's really cool. Yeah, really fast. There's really good photos of that as well. Oh yeah, there's good ones in the book that I'm using as a reference. Yeah, I think that road that we took up makes up the clear, there's a very clear path here. Oh yeah. Um. We're looking around. Yeah. The movement of this lighthouse was named the the 2000 Outstanding Civil Engineering Achievement Award. The 2000 being the year. The year. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) 2K. And this was by the American Society of Civil Engineers. A ring of foundation stones was left to mark the former Cape Hatteras site. And in 2001, the names of all 83 keepers for the lighthouse were engraved in granite. A ceremony was held around the completion of this memorial called Hatteras Keeper's Descendants Homecoming, where over 1,000 descendants attended. That's really cool. That's what Pete was talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. So the memorial was relocated uh, due to Hurricane Sandy in 2013, and the semicircle that stands today is referred to as the Keepers of the Light Amphitheater, which is right behind the lighthouse. We'll take a little look at it. It's smaller than I thought. They put more than one name on... uh, I think it's one 
block of granite per year, I think. Mm. And so they have several keepers on each one, but we'll, oh. we'll take a look at it. The Pete, Pete mentioned that they, the Rangers give speeches there, kind of talking about the yeah. history and presentations like that. Right. So. He also mentioned that, obviously, because this lighthouse is so tall, and they had to bring five-gallon you know, buckets of oh. oil up there every single day that people just quit. Like, they just couldn't handle working at this lighthouse. Yeah. And there's only one keeper, so it's pretty sad and isolated. Very tall, lots of lots of work like on those blocks they have several names per year because people would get like three months in and be like i am out of here (laughs) or some people would continue to fill their one-year obligation and then call it quits so that's why there was 83 keepers in this history where if you look at ocracoke there's only what like 11 keepers and it's throughout 200 years Yeah. yeah so it's like i mean keepers were anywhere between 15 to 50 years of service so Pretty crazy. It's really cool. Hatteras was tough for keepers, that's yeah. for sure. The, today, over half a million people visit the Hatteras Light each year, and renovations to the iron structure and stairs are due to be completed at any time. Any day. Yeah. I, I think it's funny they don't give a, an estimated date. Yeah. Just, we're yeah. working on it. When we set, when we uh, planned for this trip in, what, May or something? Mm-hmm. It said they were under renovations and may not be open in 2022, but they didn't say that for sure. So I had my hopes up all this time. Not that I would be able to climb it right now on my scooter, but I was thinking it would definitely be done by now, but they're still working. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a really cool site. I'm glad we got to see almost all of them Yeah. on the Outer Banks. Today is obviously our last day. We talked about our flight today, mm-hmm. but um, this is a pretty good pretty good spot to end it. Yeah. So we'll check out the home. shop next and yeah. head back to the Midwest. Can't complain. Got to see some awesome lighthouses, took some pictures. Hopefully everyone enjoys this podcast where we cover all of these lighthouses. I mean, it's special for us because we got to do it in person. <laughs> kind of makes it more real. Yeah, it's a, it's a business trip, really. <laughs> yeah, should, we should write off all of our oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we're, uh, there's something just really spectacular about being around a lighthouse. Like, such a huge structure. It's not like being around a skyscraper it's like being around like a gentle giant you know yeah. like it's very calm it's always very calm around here people are happy there's like you know kids running around people taking pictures it's just very i don't know just yeah well, there's a lot of intent behind the, what it took to build them i mean if you today if you wanted to build a very tall tower with a light on top to warn people about a position that would be pretty easy you'd use a, a metal structure yeah, people do it, it all the time industrial. for cell towers yeah you know, it's, it's not like exciting nowadays everything is skeletal form yeah. but uh, millions so of bricks yeah with a staircase in the middle and with bright paint yeah, and like all this work. history yeah. and so many people coming just to be around it to skip get to see it and appreciate it and then yeah. it's awesome it's really cool it's yeah. it's very I, I well, it's so significant in the area it's not just oh yeah that's they have a lighthouse it's a lot of the reason people come here yeah and people here are so nice it's just oh maybe it's because of the been, lighthouse it's been great <laughs> we uh we were hosted yesterday we kind of we had a hotel fall through yeah so overnight last night a really nice couple uh let us stay with them in their home yeah and it was and they had incredible uh, stair posts that were modeled after hatteras so you know the locals love it yeah it's part of who they are so tons of really great people here yeah definitely yeah would recommend everyone come see these lighthouses they're amazing we'll probably come back yeah sounds like well i want to spend more time in ocracoke and i'd like to see cape lookout that has a lot of history as well and people seem really excited about that one you know so yeah uh thanks for listening until next time (laughs) we hope you keep listening and uh we'll see you next time on the lighthouse lowdown do 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 do